Hello, Four Sober Chicks podcast listeners. This is Lisa, and I'm joined by Dana, Heather, and Meredith. We gather here from around the world to discuss all things related to alcohol addiction, sobriety, and the various paths to recovery. We get real about the highs, the lows, and the amazing reality of living a sober life. This podcast is a creative collaboration by women, for women, and for anyone who supports women. Thanks so much for joining today. Um, as always, we're joined by Heather and Dana and Meredith, and I'm Lisa. Today, we're all very, very excited because we're going to be dissecting Brene's latest book, Atlas of the Heart. And uh, we all decided after reading it, there was so much goodness in this book that we can't just cover it in one episode. So we're going to really focus on the first section today. And part of the reason why we all thought that this was um, a fantastic book um, to talk about it. She says it's mapping meaning, meaningful connection and the language of human experience. It's all about all the different emotions that we and experiences that define what it means to be human. Um, so it's just a, all different emotions. And there are some that come up, many, many that come up as we're going through our recovery process and uh, especially in the first part of the book as well. So that's why we're gonna focus on that today. Um, just all the different emotions. And what we'll do is we'll kind of have a round table discussion about some of the things that resonated the most with us. Um, I know for me, there, there were a couple expectations and boredom that came up that I'll touch on in a couple minutes. But um, if anyone wants to go first, just jump in. And, and I think, yeah, today we can just, Maybe you could explain what what's you know why it is that you think that this was relevant or what spoke to you about it, what resonated with you, and then we'll all sort of jump in and give our two cents. So, who wants to begin? I can start. I love the title of this section, which is "Places We Go When Things Are, are Uncertain or Too Much," and I really think this kind of describes early recovery. You know, like everything is uncertain and everything feels like too much uh, because it's the first time you're feeling, at least for me, it was the first time I was feeling and all of these emotions came at me um, in just full force. And, um, and it was really, it was really, really tough. I, I say all the time that I have deep respect for anyone that's in early recovery because my recovery today, I think it's really easy in comparison to like what it was like at the beginning in that first early recovery. And if you can get through that first year, year and a half, um, it does get better. It gets easier. It gets smoother. But this first beginning part where you just feel raw all the time. And um, I was looking through the stressed and overwhelmed and I love how she like breaks up that stress is something that we daily go through, but overwhelmed is, is when it's, it's kind of full circuit overload. And I worked in restaurants too. So she has this whole thing about how like I'm in the weeds and I'm blown. And I was laughing so hard because I really like resonated with us. I can remember being in the restaurants and doing all this stuff. Um, but I love kind of, for me, I think stress, wasn't a thing. It was constant overwhelm. And 
you know, like, and she describes that as overwhelming meaning and an extreme level of stress and an emotional or cognitive intensity to the point of feeling unable to function. And that was kind of where I was at the end. Like I could not function um, because that what I was doing was, was so overwhelming. But then when I took away the alcohol, like that stayed for a little while. I really did not know how to live my life. I didn't know how to like function and everything, even sounds and people and busyness and schedules and all of that. Like I could not adult. I had to like relearn how to do all of this again. Um, and kind of like baby steps, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to do all of that. Like, um, so that really resonated with me. Um, you had mentioned the title and then all of the um, descriptors underneath it. So the minute I read this, I was like, exactly how she has this laid out is my journey on recovery. So I was stressed first and it became overwhelmed, hardcore anxiety, worry, avoidance, excitement that I was doing. I'm like, holy crap, I'm actually doing this. Like you do have these peaks of like, okay, okay. And then dread, fear, vulnerability. And then it almost repeats literally in that order. Um, it blew my mind. Cause I was like, oh, well <laughs> during that part, I was totally in the whole worry avoidance. And then I got really excited because I accomplished all of that. But then I was dreadful. I had fear of like, it's crazy how literally that was my exact cycle um, on how I went through things. But um, for me, um, I'm a, I guess I relate a lot to the avoidance category. Um, if I avoid literally in my brain, I'm like, well, it's, it's gone or it, it doesn't exist. Um, that was always, I, I put that, I, I labeled it as I put it in a bottle, put the lid on, put it on the shelf. I was just avoiding that scenario, but, um, it says avoidance is the second coping strategy for anxiety. And so, um, I, we've always heard the term like depression is typically past related. Anxiety is future, you know, future related. So my anxiety was, I did not know how I was going to be able to function me personally, but then it starts to go from you. Right. So how am I going to deal with this around my immediate friends and family? How after that, am I going to deal with this on a bigger realm with maybe, you know, like birthday parties, weddings, and then it gets even bigger, you know? So for me, it was, I did not know how to cope with what the future was going to hold, um, with me not drinking. That was a huge, huge thing for me, but my, I always classified it as avoidance, not anxiety. Does that make sense? Cause I was like, well, avoidance in my mind sounds a little bit better than just full out anxiety, but that's exactly what I had. Um, so that was a, that was a really big thing for me. And then, um, I think they went in here on the whole worrying and anxiety. 
worry is not an emotion. Um, worry is described as a chain of negative thoughts about a bad thing that might happen in the future. So that all for me just came into one like big ball of messiness. Um, but that was one of my big takeaways. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, there's just so much to unpack in here. I think, Dana, you were saying that a while back. There's just so much. And a lot. <laughs> so much. Yeah, a lot. A lot to unpack in this whole book. Um, and, you know, I think that we can spend a lot of episodes going through this book, which I think is important, you know, especially how it pertains to our recovery. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, after I got past the per first couple of weeks into my sobriety, um, I got immediately into that excited mode. And I think, I, I, I think I'm learning now that I've been avoiding you know, I was avoiding a lot of things and it was like, I just wanted to get to that recovery point. You know, I wanted to get there and then everything will be okay. What I'm learning is as I'm coming up to my two year sobriety mark, this is where the real work is beginning for me. I'm very overwhelmed. I'm very um, burned out. And, you know, there's a lot of factors into that, but, you know, I will admit right now that never has been more of a time this past week that I have wanted a drink um, in this past two years than this past week. And it has been brutal. It has been absolutely the worst. Um, but I know it just would be worse if I did drink. <laughs> um, you know, and so when I, I look back into this first section of this book, I know exactly where I am right now. I'm in that overwhelm. And I'm trying to think back to when I was first in recovery. And I don't I think I was overwhelmed with happiness that I finally made the decision to get sober, to get into recovery. Um, and I was excited about it. It's that whole pink cloud thing, <laughs> I think. Um, and, you know, I, I look through this and I, and I do think that I did have some anxiety and I do have some anxiety and, and I am having a really hard time admitting to myself that I have anxiety issues because I never wanted to think that of myself. Um, and that's where we come into that vulnerability, right? Is that mm -hmm. being vulnerable to understand where you are in all of these emotions. Um, and I think the things that a lot of you were experiencing when you went sober first is what I'm experiencing now. I think I was in that avoidance of not wanting to visit my trauma and visit the things that got me to where they are. And I am now forced to do that coming up to my two year mark. So mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going through all of these things now where you guys all went through them before. Um, so it's, it, it, this book was very difficult and it was funny because I was listening to it and then I would go back and read things and she was singing the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory song. <laughs> in the audiobook and it cracked me up and it I I listened to it from such a different point of view through this book and through her eyes versus what that movie meant to me all those years ago when I watched it as a kid like I you know it was funny to me it was you know oh look at this all these things popping up and that's funny it's no longer funny <laughs> it's very very real so um 
you know, I, I going through all of this is like I'm living it now and wasn't living it then. And does that make sense? Yes. But something that I think is really, really, really important on what you just said, there is no way I, this is what I believe. There's no way that there is the ability to go through recovery without visiting trauma. Absolutely. You cannot become sober for a long, for the rest of your life, or as long as you want to commit to that, okay, without visiting trauma, if trauma is what you experience. And guys, trauma is a spectrum. It is not where you have to have Heather's situation or my situation. Trauma can be as little or minute as I had a really bad relationship with my mom that, you know, it can go to food. It can go to sex. It can go to all the different things. It can go to bullies in high school. If you have any sort of trauma, you have got to face and deal with it. If you want long-term sobriety period. It's very true. It's work. It It is. And it's not a, Oh, I visited a gay. We still process this years later. You know what I mean? Like when I hit my 10 year mark, I guarantee you, I'm still going to be working through the trauma. It doesn't stop, but you have to be vulnerable enough to get to that point. And, and as you peel back the onion, I know it's such a cliche kind of thing, but you really do need to pull back the layers. And I thought I had done that. And as the layers keep coming away, there's more and more to work through. And not that it's all traumatizing or really bad stuff, but it's stuff that was really buried deep that I either thought I worked through or didn't bother me as much as it, it did and shaped me as to who I am today. Um, and it's, it's an amazing experience. It is tough as hell. Um, and it hurts and it sucks, but it is making me grow exponentially at this point in my life and in my recovery. And, you know, knowing I can get through those thoughts and sit with myself and go through this self care is, um, I would have never been able to do this drinking or picking up again. And I would even, sorry, I was going to say, I would even venture to say that, like, I know you're saying that this is coming up at two years, but this is when you're ready for it. Yes. You know, if, if you don't do the other stuff and get really solid in it, then we can't do the trauma work. Like it, I, tomorrow is 31 years anniversary, the 31st anniversary of my death of my mom. I, on Saturday was in a meeting crying, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and it's, it's, these are just things like Meredith said, you're always working through them on different levels. It never goes away. And it's, and it's a process. And I would say that like, it's, you're doing it exactly the, in the timeline that it's meant for you. You probably weren't ready. You clearly weren't ready or you would have done it right. Like, Um, We first have to learn how to live without the substances before we can start unpacking the years of luggage that we have packed away. (laughs) And I think it's really important to understand like Dana, you're actually, yes, vulnerability, but you're being vulnerable with yourself. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I think vulnerability has been casted outward a lot. 
Mm-hmm. You've got to get vulnerable with yourself and be like, yeah, there's a lot of crappy stuff that I do have to start to think about and deal. But having that vulnerability and that grace for you yeah. is key. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. There you are. <laughs> we saw your lips moving, but we didn't hear yeah. you. <laughs> Weird. My sound might be off today. Sorry. But um, yeah, I'm just, for those that aren't familiar with the book, I'm just going to go to like, you know, the content. She, she talks about the places we go, and this is what we're talking about today, when, we're, when things are uncertain. And she talks about stress, overwhelm, anxiety, worry, avoidance, excitement, dread, fear, vulnerability, which is what we're focusing on today. But then she goes on, places we go when we compare, places we go when things don't go as planned, places we go when it's beyond us. Um, I'm not going to go through all the contents, but what I love about it is that read the whole book, absorbed the whole book, but it's the kind of book where I know I'm going to go back to it, you know, like when I'm feeling an emotion. Um, I'm going to go back to her table of contents and go, okay, feeling this, this emotion so strongly right now, I'm going to just go to that one chapter and reread it because it's, it's validating. It's like, this is normal. This is places we go when we're confused. There's an example places we go where we're feeling anguish or grief, you know, it, it's just going to be one of those books that I know it's going to get quite dog eared. (laughs) <laughs> over time and there's going to be tons of sticky notes on it but it's it's just having that validation and going okay this is why i'm feeling that it makes you feel better it's a starting point and then you can start again peeling back the onion but um yeah my my big it just in this first section um big takeaways were places we go um when things don't go as planned talking about expectations and having expectations um that that one was huge for me when things don't go as planned well maybe and oh and what does she say the bigger the expectation the bigger the disappointment disappointment is unmet expectations the more significant the expectations the more significant the disappointments and it's you know it's okay to be excited about stuff coming up in your future but it's so true i that one is that one really resonated with me. Like, okay, it didn't go. Life is not a, a destination. It's a journey. You know, it was just such a reminder um, to keep it all in perspective, to keep mm-hmm. it in perspective. Um, another one was the boredom. Um, yep. She, yeah, boredom is your imagination calling to you. Because when I was drinking, a lot of it was around, not all of it, but um, boredom why not there was never a bad time for glass wine you know like oh i'm making dinner whatever whatever it was might as well have a glass wine and that's how it all started taking over my life but um now i find when i sit there i get so much more creative you know when i don't have that sitting there numbing out not feeling anything drinking if i'm not doing that it's amazing what i get up to even if it's just in my own head, the thoughts that come in, the self-awareness, um, it, it's been really refreshing. And again, you know, we talk about how much we've grown in the last years, in our sober years, and that, that's the growth. That's where the growth happens. Mm-hmm. When you're drinking, you're kind of stagnating everything. You're stopping, stopping yourself at a moment in time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those are, those are two parts of the book that really resonated with me big time. 
I must be one of the few people that love being bored. Do you? I do. <laughs> I just, you know, whether it's just sit me in front of the TV and I, and I Netflix and chill, whatever, you know what I mean? And I sit there for 10 hours. I think that's just me needing to get the overwhelm out of my yes. system. Right. Yes. Um, but it's true, Lisa, you, you know, I think about that and, and the creativity that came flooding back when we had more time, when we were clear, when we were focused, when we didn't have the brain fog. Um, I mean, I dove into my art and I dove into, you know, learning more to be a, a recovery coach. And I, the, the things that I wanted to learn and read and absorb and, and you don't do that when you're drunk. You don't do that while you're drinking. You don't do that while you're surfing on your phone, you know, and that boredom, the quote unquote boredom is just such a neat place to be because that's when you, that's when you can really start to, to be creative and innovative and, um, rest. I really love this section that she talks about the state versus the trait um, and talks about people's like, so a trait is considered to be something that's part of an individual's personality and therefore a long-term characteristic of an individual and that shows up in behavior, action, and feelings. And a state is on the other hand is something that's temporary condition and it's uh, you're experiencing it for a short period of time. And I was thinking about like, because you guys know that I'm in 12 step recovery and I'm in the rooms and, you know, I hear different people's shares and I feel like there's maybe this, that a lot of people that utilize alcohol are people that experience this in a trait state, <laughs> um, in a trait, as a trait, you know, that like, cause when, cause we're all kind of similar in that, like, you know, whether you've had trauma or not, but there's also the, like, I was uncomfortable around other people. I didn't feel good enough. I, you know, I, um, I was restless, you know, in, in the program, it's restless, irritable, and discontent, you know, like we're very similar when you start to kind of boil down the personalities. Um, and, you know, it, as just kind of someone who likes to look at patterns, I find it really interesting um, that people are very similar you know, that are in kind of, we all have similar traits. We might be from different backgrounds and so forth, but we have different similar traits. Whenever I would drink, it would melt away all that uh, insecurity, all that irritability, all of that, you know, my monkey mind would calm down and I would just feel calm and I would feel normal. That was what was so attractive about it. It wasn't that I was like, I would go way too far with it. Um, cause I couldn't ever, like, it was never enough. But when I got to that one beginning point of just feeling calm and in my body, man, that's not how I live. That's not my normal state, right? Like I had to work on that. Um, so, you know, I think I have this trait of irritable, restless, and discontent that for me, recovery is always about figuring out how to kind of manage that and do it without alcohol, without food, without these external things, do it with meditation, do it with nature, do it with connection, do it with, you know, um, art for me, you know, how do I do these? Because I still have to manage that. It did not go away. You know, at first it like got way, way more intense. And then I started to apply 
kind of my solutions to it. So I love well, that breakdown. And there's there was probably also a point that when you were drinking and you got into that calmness, as your addiction got bigger, maybe it was not as calm as it was six months ago and you okay. had to actually drink more. So that's where this step goes up. Yeah. You know, your body gets immune to you drinking a certain amount and then you got to up it a level and then up it again before you know it you are literally looking at five empty bottles of wine in a night versus six months ago you could only handle one you know and that to me that's the gateway that is that is where like for me I was like man should I start drinking vodka? Like, is that going to get where I need, get me to where I need to go quicker? Or do I open a sixth bottle? You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you start to view all these things because you are going after how it makes you feel. It's erasing all it's, it's, it's avoidance. You know, you're avoiding all this crap to feel this certain way and it will continue to increase. And if you are sober curious, I challenge you to watch that. Mark how much you're drinking right now. And in six months to get to that same state, how much are you drinking? Mm-hmm. That could be a huge eye opener for you because it's not just going to be one more drink. It will be a large consumption that your body is now needing to get to that state. And they often, you know, it's often when you're drinking, it's like not that you're craving the drink. It's uh, you're craving either to escape or to feel something. So it's like, what what am I trying to escape? What feeling am I trying to escape or what feeling am I trying to get right now? It's all about the feeling. It's not about the drinking. yeah. Yeah. That's the definition of drinking. And that's why it's the gateway to other drugs. Um, you know, is you're always constantly chasing the first initial feeling you had when it happened. You're like, holy crap, it calmed me down. My anxiety went away. Mm -hmm. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't, you know, like I felt numb. Well, it is numbing, but you felt good, you know, and you are constantly chasing that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah. In service of, and in, in disregard to everything else. Mm-hmm. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so much, so much in this book. And I don't, and we've only just scratched the surface and we're going to mm-hmm. continue on in the next few um, episodes, unpacking this a bit more. There's just so much more. So um, yeah, I think all of us, I speak for all of us when, if anyone's, curious you know as you say sober curious meredith you know pick up this book it's a great book it's really amazing it helps you get in touch with your feelings helps you validate your feelings it's totally normal you know and then determine how to deal with them so and brene brown is a woman in recovery you know so she comes at this i i think you know I don't, I don't know that I've read anywhere that this is why she studies this, but, you know, um, I, I think a lot of what she says resonates with me because she uses similar 
language and describes it in similar ways that really speak to to my heart and to that so she is a a woman in long-term recovery um so it's great that we're kind of looking at her and we do not have an endorsement this is all because we loved this book that we put it together like we don't um this is independent and if Brene you are listening we would love <laughs> to have you on the show <laughs> right yes you have an inner uh, and what is it uh, uh an open invitation oh, open invitation thank you <laughs> yeah but I do, yeah. I do. This, this book is so cool about like on the front cover is a heart and all of these things. And, you know, we are the map makers and the travelers and, and it truly is a mapping of the heart. You know, it truly is a mapping of what makes up a human, you know, and, and makes us alive. Um, and it's, like you know you were saying lisa where you could just ear dog this and and or dog ear sorry ear dog dog ear and i like ear dogging <laughs> sticky <laughs> note into to death um i can see myself coming back to this book you know on the daily when it comes to you know just realizing like oh my gosh maybe that's what she meant or you know this is what i'm feeling maybe i should check out the book <laughs> there's yeah. so many emotions that i've never been able to pinpoint yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're like, well, I feel like it's this broad overarching feeling that I'm feeling. And that's what I love about this is it exactly pinpoints what these emotions are. And there's emotions that I've had that when I read through this, I was like, oh, that was not what I thought at all. <laughs> yeah. I was calling it something different, you know? And so I think that that for me is, is really good to where, you know, if I can sense a certain emotion, I can come back here because not only is it pinpointed, but it is in such um, layman's terms that yes. you instantly can be like, I know exactly how that felt, you know, or this is exactly what's happening. So that's what I love about this is you're able to actually pinpoint certain things on how you have felt in the past that you either didn't know, maybe you called it something different. Um, but I loved that about this book. And how it had, you know, like it has buckets, right? It has the bigger buckets that everybody happy, sad, joy, whatever, angry. But then it's got all of these sub little, little sub categories and, and, you know, emotions and feelings that are involved in each of those buckets where you were saying, Meredith, where like it pinpoints things, right? Yeah. It's like, we, we think there's five major emotions and there's like really 87 of them that we didn't, we just didn't know how to name or just didn't know where they fit. And I, I think that's brilliant, Meredith. This, I was just looking for this section. So she says in here, in five years, they collected surveys from more than 7,000 people and the average number of emotions named was three. Yes, mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. Happy, sad, and angry. That blew me away. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of, I don't know, it's staggering. So I, I think there's great need for this work and for her research and her team. And What are we going to go over on the next section? So the next section... is places we go when we compare. Comparison, admiration, reverence, envy, jealousy, resentment. Shut up. 
Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. And Friedenfreude. Friedenfreude. Yes. <laughs> so we will read that and we will digest that. And we will have more uh, an intelligent conversation to come about those things. I don't even know what they are. I, I've, I'm reading this in sections because when I started to read, I was like, there's so much here. And then I am, I am ear dogging it. <laughs> I hear you. I've got one so far, actually two, but yeah, because I've been listening and then going back and I, I'm a highlighter too. So mm -hmm. Yeah, these flags is this is actually one of my daughter's strategies and I colored them like related to like key points and then like soup. Nice yeah, flag. exactly. Yeah. Um so I love it. Cool. Ladies, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining. I'm excited to delve into this further with you in future episodes. So that's great. Ditto. Thank you all for listening today. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you and wish you the best on your sober adventures. For more information and details on upcoming episodes, check us out on YouTube or Instagram at 4SoberChicks. That's number four, Sober Chicks. We welcome your feedback and look forward to being with you on the next episode.